Hey y'all, hey, welcome back to another episode of Safe Space with Shay. Today I have a guest who is part of my alma mater. I'm a Wayne State graduate as well. I have Dr. Dalton Trustee. She is assistant professor of educational psychology, a clinical supervisor and co-director of the mental health and wellness um, clinic at Wayne State University. Hi, Dr. Dalton Trustee. Hi, Shayla. Hi. I'm so glad to have you here and in person. <laughs> I love the interaction that I get from my guests when they come, um, and I just I just love it. I feed off of that energy, so I appreciate you being here. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. So we are here today to talk about the stigma in the black community, but one of the things I ask my guests before we start is how did you get in the mental health field? How much time we got? Right. (laughs) Um, Quick answer. Um, When I was young, about, I think, like 10, 11 years old, um, my family's very church-going. So my church had a church nursery. And so when I was a baby, I kind of was raised in that nursery, got older, had to sit in church. Um, But by the time I turned 10 or 11, the nursery supervisor at the time needed help. Um, So she reached out to my mom and was like, hey, um, well, they, my family calls me my middle name, Bianca. Okay. So, um, she said, hey, do you think Bianca would mind, you know, help me out in the nursery? Uh, I know she's only like 10 or 11, but I know she's very mature. She's good with kids, blah, 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 blah. So my mom asked me, I said, I mean, well, keep me from sitting in church. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Falling asleep in church, right. I'll do it. Um, so that's kind of how I started, like, just kind of working with kids and being in a nursery, getting to learn the personalities of kids and yeah. things they say, how they think how they work, just everything. So I had worked in that nursery like 10 years. Um, So went to college. Whenever I came home for the summers, I was back in that nursery. Um, So with working with those kids and just getting to know them, you know, like I said, how kids function, how they look at the world, having conversations, intellectual conversations with three, four-year-olds. Very pretty interesting. Um, So when I was applying for college, I got accepted to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So me and my mom were, you know, going through the whole orientation process. She asked, you know, what do you want to major in? I'm just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, at the time, you know, I was an athlete, you know, so all I care about was sports yeah, <laughs> in high yeah. school. I get it. Um, so I hadn't really thought about, you know, outside of sports, what I would be doing. Um, so we kind of had a conversation. She said, well, you know, you're really good with talking to people. You are receptive. You know, you're good with kids in the nursery. So what do you think about psychology? And I'm like, sure, you know. <laughs> Like, my mom, my mom is very intelligent, business-oriented woman, so I, whatever she says, I kind of pretty much trust her judgment. So she said psychology, I said, why not? Let's try it. Right. So got to college, started taking, you know, the introductory psych courses and fell in love with it. Wow. So, oh, she knew she was talking about. Okay, listen. <laughs> so fell in love with it, talked to my advisors, and I, you know, quickly learned that psychology is one of those fields that if you want to make a difference and be successful, especially as a woman of color. Definitely got to get a doctorate degree. So gotcha. I immediately made that decision to apply to a doctorate degree as soon as I was approaching conversa- um, graduation. Wow. So completed all the requirements for my application, got into a doctoral program, straight out of undergrad. So at 22, moved from North Carolina to D.C. Wow. Um, little girl from Pontiac. Okay. <laughs> so started my doctoral program in psychology and took off from there. I love it. <laughs> I love to hear it. Black girl magic made it happen. <laughs> I love it. I love hearing those stories. And a lot of times, too, the common thing I hear is, like, they knew when they were little or it was something mm-hmm. early on in life that really connected them to where they are today. So mm-hmm. thank you 
for sharing that. Thank you for asking. Yes. So, again, you guys, we are going to be talking about the stigma in the um, black mental health um, arena. So, I know we have the stigma of, like, okay, um, we don't want to be labeled, right? You know, we don't talk about our problems. We keep them to ourselves. But there's also another component to that stigma, right? We have the socioeconomic factors that play a part in stigma. So I really want to kind of talk about that piece and and what that looks like that plays in that, um, you know, stigma. Okay, perfect. Well, first, let's start with kind of breaking down that word socioeconomic. So obviously that's two components into one. Yes. So you have the social aspects, and then we have the economical, financial aspects that go into it. So if we start off with social, there's – so many social-related vari- um, variables that come into play as far as people's decision to seek mental health, if they're reluctant to do so, their perspective of it, you know, as a industry, as a field, as something that can help them. Mm-hmm. So socially, I would definitely say, if we're focusing on the black community and yes. probably other communities as well, mm-hmm. where there's a heavy religious focus. Yes. Um, even me growing up, you know, like I said, I grew up, you know, church going, come from a very spiritual family. And even when I pursued psychology, you know, my mom was very supportive. I was, she wanted to make the decision. But there were other people in my family kind of questioned it, like, what you going to do with that, you know? Right. You know, we just pray. We go to church. We good, you know. How you going to help somebody else um, through their problems if they don't believe in God? You know, just mm-hmm. making everything about, you know, leaning heavy on religion. Granted, I am a very spiritual, strong Christian woman. But I think just like with medical, you break your arm. You pray about it, but you still go to the hospital. There you go. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And you know, and you if you have to have a surgery, you pray that the surgery is successful. You right. don't just pray that God is going to magically heal whatever ailment you're experiencing. You still right. have to take those steps and do your part yeah. to make sure the healing occurs. So one of my favorite quotes is faith without work is dead. Yes. You know, it's great to pray, it's great to have faith, but you gotta put the work. You gotta meet God halfway. Yeah, like, that's right. You know, that's right. And I me being a spiritual woman, I am I don't feel like God would put me in this field mm. had me had that conversation with my mom if he felt like psychology and religion were competing entities. Right. Um, so I think religion has been a barrier in the black community for quite some time. And still is. Mm-hmm. I think I think definitely that barrier is um, being more and more reduced. Okay. I see more churches kind of connecting with mental health providers. My church is definitely at the forefront of that. You know, my pastor loves it. I'm a psychologist, and he involves me in any way he can. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot off of him. Exactly. You know, and him knowing that I am a Christian woman, I can, you know, integrate that religious aspect and mental health and religion can collaborate yes. and even be a stronger impact and be even have an even more efficient effect on people. So I think religion played a part for quite some time. And even today, I still have clients that were reluctant. They'll admit to, you know, I was reluctant just because, you know, I felt like, am I going against God? Am I saying God isn't good enough? Or, you know, my family questioning my faith. Like, did you you stop believing in God? You think he ain't got you? Why you got to talk to a stranger about your problems? You should talk to God. Um, So uh, religion has been number one for quite some time. Um, Some other social factors, I think, obviously, and I'm sure you probably have come across this, there's not enough providers that look like us. Yes. <laughs> um, that is slowly and gradually changing. Yeah. Um, but that has been a barrier for quite some time, is not being able to find a mental health provider, a psychologist, a counselor, a therapist that you can relate to on the outside as much as you can on the inside. Yeah. Um, so even me being um, a provider and I have to refer out, I struggle finding women of color, men of color um, to refer to 
you know. So it does put a lot of weight on me um, to try to either see these patients myself or get them connected to someone I feel would be a good for, fit for them. Um, and like I said, I think that's slowly changing. I see more and more psychologists and mental health providers of color. Um, obviously, we still got a long way to go. Yeah. I would say right now the biggest gap that I've noticed is not enough men of color in this yes. field. And yes. every male I come across who talks about going to school and not know what they want to do, I, I encourage them just get a doctorate in something, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you want to. Obviously, yeah. school is not for everybody, and that's right. not the only way to be successful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in this particular field, in order to make a difference, in my opinion, you need, a, you need those three letters behind your name. Right. And I would say having that doctor, yeah. you know, and having to get that respect from people has yes. definitely granted me a lot of opportunities that I would definitely say I probably would not have had wow. if I had not pursued my doctorate. And I can probably say that. Like, wow. That, it, it does make a difference. That's awesome. I love it. That's amazing. Now, on the economics side. <laughs> okay. Um, obviously, I would, I, one thing I love about the state of Michigan, just being, because I left for 10 years, <laughs> um, never thought I would come back. And then I got um, hired at McLaren Flint as, oh. as a psychology fellow. Okay. And me making that decision, because it was really hard. I had to consult with family members, oh. friends. Like, I went back and forth for like a week, like. <laughs> I don't want to go back to Michigan. <laughs> but this opportunity is too good, right? you know. And yeah. I had other um, offers, so I spent a week just pros and cons, comparing and contrasting, prayed about it, obviously, mm -hmm. and God spoke to me. And I think that week my grandma got sick, and I'm – that's, that's bestie. Oh, okay. So that, I was like, I'm going home. There you go. That's still the deal. <laughs> I think she was pretending. Uh -uh. Not to <laughs> she was magically well. Okay. You know, once I made that call, I'll come back home. So, you know, but yeah. hey, you know, like I said, it was the best decision I could have made. It definitely changed my life coming back to Michigan. Wow. And one thing, since I've been here, Michigan is definitely pro mental health. Okay. In so many areas, from our governor on oh. down. And I'm not sure if you know, I actually just got approved to be. Um, authorized through it's called Psych Pact. Mm -hmm. So it's something Governor Whitmer approved for psychologists to um, be authorized to practice telepsychology oh, in over 30 states. Sweet. As long as you oh. have a fully a full license in Michigan as psychologist, yeah. you are authorized to provide services in over 30 states. And every month, more and more states are being added oh, um, to this Psych Pact I organization. That. That's amazing. Oh my God. Yes. yes. And that just <laughs> opens you up to so yes. many. Oh my God. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think one thing the pandemic, well, the pandemic taught us a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as mental health, it definitely told us there is a shortage of mental health providers. And I think mental the value of mental health services increased significantly yeah. during the pandemic. And more and more people became unashamed to seek mental health services. Right. So you know, how does, well, back to my original point with Michigan being such a pro-mental health state, unfortunately, there aren't other states that are not like that. If a state isn't for it, the budget isn't for it. Wow. And so in a lot of states, sometimes the mental health is the first budget cut to go. Wow. Um, so, like, and back to my point with considering other uh, fellowship offers, mm -hmm. I also had to think about the state I would be practicing in. And I had to think about my own well-being, like how much money could I really make as a psychologist if this is not a state that supports it. Wow. Um, so a lot of the offers were not that great as far as salary. Right. Very low. And I'm like, why psychologists are paid so low in this state? Did my right. research because it ain't in the budget. Wow. And so that has a lot to do, it sounds like, with, too, who you're electing. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it needs of to, uh, yeah. Very much so, and I'm sure, I don't yeah. want to get into it. Right, 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 right. No, I, right. Obviously, <laughs> there's been some legislation changes. Yeah. Even today, there yeah. were a couple big ones. Yeah. But like you said, it starts uh, at the top. Yeah. And and I, with that being said, that's why we have to emphasize how important it is to vote at the local level. Yeah. Okay. They make those type of decisions that are very impactful. And me just being this one psychologist, I had to think about the larger aspect of who's making these laws that impact my field that I want to make a difference in and mm. how the decision they make up top can affect the difference I make in a small, small little bubble. Mm. So you really have to think about that from an economic standpoint. Oh, my God. That's really food for thought. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> like, I'm just like, really? Like, all right, let me do my research. Okay. Um, but again, with Michigan um, being such a pro mental health, a lot of... Uh, finances and grants go towards mental health. So Wayne State having this clinic, we provide yes. free services to the not only Wayne State students, but the community. Wow. We would not be able to provide free services if we didn't have grants and the funding behind us to do that. Wow. But I think that shows how important mental health is valued and um, just is in general in this state, in the Detroit community, Oakland County, Wayne County, and all surrounding areas. Yeah. Um, now on the other side of economics, you know, insurance, being able to, you know, afford mental health. A lot of black people don't have those resources or they live in a city or an area where it's not as accessible. Mm. Again, one of the pros of the pandemic introduced telehealth. Right. And I think there was a huge hiccup in those seeking mental health service because they didn't have to get up and drive anywhere or go to an office and be seen and, you know, deal with the possibility of feeling ashamed or embarrassed for seeking these services. Mm. So there was a huge uptake in mental health services because of the introduction of telepsychology. Um, and so, again, I think insurances are getting better with the coverage for mental health services. Um, I think that has definitely significantly increased over the years. Like, the mental health coverage you see by insurance companies now is not the same as it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's getting better and better. Um, and then just even more and more communities offering either reduced costs or free mental health services. That's been a thing that's been very helpful. Because mental health is a, it's a very expensive field. Yeah. <laughs> if you are someone who pay out of pocket, yeah. you know, I work with a lot of professional athletes who don't want to go through their insurance. Uh, so, you know, they okay. choose to pay out of pocket. Okay. And that's completely up to them. I respect yeah. their privacy. Yeah. But it's an expensive field. And like I said, unfortunately, some people don't have the financial resources. And those are typically the people who probably would benefit from it the most. Wow. Isn't that something? Uh, I hate that. <laughs> Um, okay, and then back to, too, you made a point, too, about the shortage of uh, black male therapists. Um, I did read an article. It was through the American either Psychology or Psychiatrist Association. Mm -hmm. They were talking about, like, more support groups are forming mm -hmm. to curb that, right? Um, do you see that being helpful? Uh, definitely support groups, and ironically, it's interesting that you said that because I had a male patient today who asked, like, do you know of any um, support groups for adult black males? Mm. And I think that's a sign that black males are becoming more comfortable opening up, not just to someone, but in a group setting with other black males to lean on. Right. Now, that's not something that was pretty common. Exactly. Because, <laughs> um, you know, you know, the stigma is males don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to appear more vulnerable in front of other people. Um, so I think him even asking about that shows how far we've come as a community and how black males are recognizing that I'm human too. Yes. I have feelings and my feelings deserve to be heard. Yes. Um, so I definitely would agree you know, with that, that these support groups are being very helpful. 
Um, and it, it allows you to touch multiple people yeah. at one time. Yeah. You know, you can have a support group of 10 people, 5 people, 20 people versus having one person see 20 people individually. Exactly. <laughs> um, and people are able to lean on each other. And I think it normalizes a lot of their own challenges and barriers, hearing other people talk about similar experiences. Granted, everyone has their own experience and experiences in their own way, mm-hmm. which hearing someone else say, hey, I need help too. Right. This is the problem that I have in my life. It, it's not just me. I'm not alone in this. Right. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people have, you know, the conception that are a lot of problems common to a lot of people yeah. in the black community. Oh, yeah. But again, sometimes how we perceive it, how we experience it, yeah. is completely different. So hearing someone else's experience and how they, the lens they look through and the angle from which they see the experience can be enlightenment for somebody else and change that person's life. Yes, that is, oh, you said that so well. <laughs> like, yes, that's it. Um, and I also know, too, NAMI, they have a lot of... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good information. Yeah. I done sent stuff to my relatives, <laughs> yes. like, hey, check them out. I'm, like, on there finding local mm-hmm. chapters. Um, they have a lot of helpful resources yes. as well. NAMI so. is a, a big one. There, yeah. That's a huge one that I go to their website for just about everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yes, they have, and one of the things, too, they have a support group for families who have a family member who has a mental illness. Yep. So it's, you don't have to be diagnosed with it. They have support mm-hmm. For family and friends, so I thought that was pretty helpful, too. And that's something that's changing, too, is recognizing how people, loved ones who are a part of someone's life are impacted. Yes. Either this person has a mental illness or a physical illness. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this intervention called caregiver stress therapy now mm. for those who care for a loved one who has a mental illness or elderly. Yeah. Because I think, you know, people forget the, I hate to use this word, but, you know, it's the reality of the situation, the burden that takes. It is. And the emotional and physical, emotional <laughs> um, drainage a person experiences as a caregiver. So now we're starting to recognize, you know, not only is an individual impacted, but the, the loved ones surrounding that individual. You know, and I always go back to that plane analogy where they always tell you to put your mask on first yes. before you put somebody else on because yes. you can't help somebody if you ain't alive to do it. That's right. That's right. That is so true. Yeah, you have to be willing to take care of yourself and. I just can't stress it enough. There are resources. It is support out here. So I'm going to list it in the show notes, too. (laughs) (laughs) And I think having that support for families also shows how we've improved in the black community as far as families' perception of mental health. Mm. Because I think another barrier that I didn't mention earlier is that a lot of people didn't seek mental health because how their family might perceive them. That's right. And we put in our family business in the streets. um, So feeling that judgment and being looked down upon or called quote-unquote crazy by family members and, you know, feeling ashamed or embarrassed, I think that has gradually changed over time as well. That was a huge barrier for a lot of people, too. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, there's definitely been some change, and I'm excited about that. There you go. We're going in the right direction. (laughs) Okay, so my next question. Okay, so how does the urban environment influence and shape, and I guess we just touched on this, Mm -hmm. but um, influence and shape how we cope with and manage stress and trauma um, that aid in the stigma? I'm assuming when you say urban environment, you're talking about the hood. Oh, yeah. All right, cool. Let's keep it real. There you go. (laughs) Um, Well, and it's it's interesting that you asked that. I had a conversation with a patient earlier today about how their trauma has become so normalized for them that they didn't even see the situation as traumatic. Look at that. And when I tell you what they've been through in their life, the average person 
would have had such an intense emotional reaction and may not have been able to cope effectively with what this person has been through. Oh, and she just talked about it like it was another Wednesday. Wow. Yikes. And her reaction to it was so numb, just so, I mean. Yeah. And that's, I think that's common for a lot of black people who live in certain environments. Yeah. Like, like you said, the hood. Because yeah. we, these things do become normalized for us. And it's trauma. And a lot of times we don't even recognize the impact it has on us until much later, until we're in a situation that we react in a certain way that's probably not the most adaptive. And we got to connect the dots to rewinding it way back when to what they've been through as a kid or what they were exposed to or, you know, watching their parents behave a certain way or other family members behave a certain way or just even things going on in their environment and their surroundings. And it, it eventually surfaces. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So I think just part of being in an urban environment is just it normalizes things that probably shouldn't be considered normal. Right. <laughs> it's almost like, I want to make sure I'm saying this, is there a higher tolerance or a lower tolerance for what they're, in, what they're experiencing at that time? I'm become more immune. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yep, yep, for sure. And it's like when you're in those moments, like, how do you know? Like they said, you know, when your quality of life starts to decrease, like, how can they know, okay, I need to seek support or something's, you know, going wrong without the physical part showing <laughs> yeah. up? Because, you know, without the high cholesterol and the blood pressure mm-hmm. and all of that, I mean. Even I, though that stuff's going to show up. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. But I guess how can you uncondition that, that tolerance level, I guess? I mean, well, the tolerance of it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Okay. Um, it's just more about not being so easily accepting of this has to be my norm. Okay. This has to be my norm for, you know, generations that follow me. Mm-hmm. And so just wanting better for yourself, wanting better for your family. The tolerance doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing because it does create a level of resilience. Okay. And I think that's why a lot of black people are so strong. But then we become so strong to the fact that we don't recognize moments when we're not so strong. Uh, and then we feel guilty yes. about needing help and feeling vulnerable. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's the challenging part of it. Not necessarily a bad thing. Right. But that's when you have to kind of sit back and realize, like, I'm really going through some stress right now. And I'm just putting more pressure on myself and feeling guilty that I feel like I have to go through this just because I'm black. And the struggle is part of who we are. If we ain't struggling, we ain't black. And the fact that that's become a thing, that's, that's, it's hard, it's disheartening. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. And this is why I do this podcast. This mm-hmm. is why I put the resources out so people can know there is support out there. Mm-hmm. You are not supposed to be taking on all of this stress no. like this. It's about balance, yes. it's about learning discernment, it's yes. about taking care of yourself, asking boundaries. for which boundaries. Come on, boundaries with yourself and with other people. That's right. That's right. Asking for what you need, giving yourself mm-hmm. what you need, like all of these things. It's just so important that we do it and yes. we do it intentionally yes. and we do it daily. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's my little input there. <laughs> but no, but this is a great conversation. I learned so much. Like, yes, I, I'm so here for it. Anytime I can gain more information, I'm so here for yes. it. 
So are you accepting new clients? Not at the moment. Okay. Okay. That's all right. But Wayne State is always accepting new clients. All right now. To our mental health and wellness clinic. Okay. Now. Perfect. And, and again, those services are free to everyone. Look at we that. We are a hybrid model. Oh, great. Um, so while I may not be the therapist or the psychologist, I'm typically supervising those who are providing the services. So I'm still involved in directly okay. in some kind of way. Cool. Cool. Well, perfect. So I'll post that uh, yes, website yes. in the show notes. And y'all can just reach out and uh, go from there. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you for thank coming. You and thank you guys for joining me. Until next time. Until next time.